This is Draco Malfoy and the House of Black, part three of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget. Chapter 12. The Rat and the Dragon. Draco thought making it until Saturday before telling Hermione about Black spoke admirably of his discretion, even if it came out rather unceremoniously. She'd come to listen to him and Dean Thomas sitting in the Gryffindor common room that Saturday, pretending not to be interested as they pored over the football magazine Thomas had gotten and made plans to try out the West Ham football Draco had sent Thomas for Christmas once the snow melted a little. And it wasn't a minute after talk over by the fire turned inevitably to black, attracting Thomas away from them, before Hermione's idle fretting about black made him whisper, He is innocent though, you know. Hermione gave him her most wan look. Like you're such an expert, how would you know? It probably wasn't worth the satisfaction then to lounge back and say, Because he told me. But it was satisfying. What was not so satisfying was the positive klaxons that sounded above them when Hermione tried to drag Draco up to her dorm with her, drawing the whole common room's wincing attention. What are you doing, Malfoy? One of the Weasley twins called. No boys in the girls' dorms, don't you know that? I thought that rule was just for Slytherins, Draco called back, and Hermione looked at him puzzled. Because we're bigger sluts, he added helpfully. She grimaced and dragged him clean out of Gryffindor, presumably in search of a less noisy spot to murder him. They ended up in the trophy room, beside Draco's award for special services to the school, while Draco told her of his new acquaintance with the man the entire school was surrounded by Dementors in protection from. So, what you have to understand, Stryker, Draco began, is that, really, if you look at it objectively, I would never have found Grimald Place if your family hadn't taken me to Islington, so it is somewhat your fault. Frankenstein! she shrieked incoherently. Frankenstein! But, Draco went on charitably, I will take responsibility for visiting Grimald Place again where I happened to make the acquaintance of my uncle Sirius, who may be less well-groomed than your uncle Gary, but has the merit at least of having no small children called Will. Yes, no children, Hermione said through gritted teeth, because he's been in Azkaban. Striker, you have to realise, even before I knew he was innocent, I didn't consider Uncle Sirius my worst relative, or my second worst relative, or third, if we're not strictly counting blood. There is my Uncle Rodolphus. Why is your wand out? I swear, I haven't been imperious. Explain! Hermione said with impressive venom in her voice, concisely, or I will hex you, Draco Malfoy, and I do think the instant scalping hex would not be out of the question. Okay, said Draco, 
and took a deep breath, conjuring them cushions. She sat down on the ground with him warily, and he began. So, basically, yes, I went back to Grimald Place without you, but I had a good reason. Do you remember when you asked why Aunt Bella hadn't been blasted from the family tapestry? I got this obsession in my head that I wanted to do it. When Draco finished his long and rambling explanation of the process, including his myriad confusing justifications of its importance and possible effect, she looked less judgmental than he feared, but more understanding than he would have liked. It's her, she said abruptly. Your aunt. She's your boggart, isn't she? And Draco's fingers, stroking fretfully at his wand in his pocket, tightened on it as he nodded. After not said it was obvious, Harry spent so long trying to puzzle out what yours could be, but he never guessed that. Why, he Ron suggested it once. What was your boggart again? Draco asked weakly, and her cheeks went pink. Professor McGonagall, she told him stiffly, telling me I'd gotten a fail grade in every class, which you ought to remember, given how much you laughed the first time I told you, so you're just stalling. Draco made a face at her and flicked at the H charm on her bracelet. Okay, fine, you're right, said Draco. So, I went back on Christmas and I managed it. Christmas? Hermione said, dismayed. I thought you spent Christmas with your family. Draco smiled at her grimly. I went back to Grimald every day after that before term started, and they didn't notice me leaving once. As long as I'm at meals, I could be selling my body between them and they'd be none the wiser. He laughed at the face she made at his colourful example. Sorry, sorry, but you catch my drift. Anyway, I blasted the name off the tapestry, and when I looked up, there was my Uncle Sirius, looking just like on all his wanted posters. And... Draco looked her in the eye and instantly lost his nerve to be completely forthcoming. And then... We went down to the living room and sat down together, he went on, which wasn't objectively untrue if you just left off a lot of intervening events. And he told me that it wasn't him who turned in the potters, but Peter Pettigrew. If you've heard the name, it's because that's who he was supposed to have killed, along with all of those muggles, the one where they could only find his finger. Well... That's because Pettigrew cut off his own finger to fake his death and frame Uncle Sirius. Pettigrew was the secret keeper, not Uncle Sirius. Hermione listened to his rendition of Black's incredible tale, with a patience Draco knew Ron and Potter would never have shown, though he could see in her eyes the one question that was the hardest to explain, without being able to admit he had future knowledge. And do you believe all this? Why? Her credulity only seemed to crack when she asked why Black had chosen now to get out and try and find the living Pettigrew. And Draco drawled, Well, guess who made the paper with a lottery they won to finance a trip to Egypt? 
And guess whose rat happens to be missing a finger? Wait, Hermione said slowly, holding up her hand. You mean the Weasleys? Scabbers? If it's any consolation, Draco said. I think this is proof that Crookshanks is not only a good cat, but smarter than the rest of us. Her face looked like she'd reached the moment she could no longer continue indulging his lunacy, and he hurriedly reached into his pocket for the Polaroid he had been carrying in anticipation of this moment some time coming. Wait, before you think I've been confounded, look at this picture. They're all animagi. Well, except for Lupin, it's like you said he's a werewolf. He's Mooney, Hermione. Look at him. There he is, like on the map. That's the four of them who made it. Mooney? He forced her to look and tapped each face on the picture in turn. Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. See, that's Lupin, Pettigrew, Uncle Sirius, and Potter's father. Hermione thought he was a lunatic after that. That much seemed beyond dispute, as she was ashen-faced and quiet for the next week, even around the only one of her friends currently speaking to her and it was a very bleak week for Draco in turn, responding to Black's attempts to contact him on their two-way mirror with dark hisses of later and I'm working on it, until she sidled up at the end of their snowy Saturday scrimmage with Thomas after scoring enough goals on Keeper Finnegan to make him look liable to give up the sport and whispered, I want to meet him. Draco dropped Thomas's West Ham football in a muddy snowbank prompting great Gryffindor jeering at his failure in juggling. He made half-hearted excuses, before following her behind a pillar in the courtyard. I want to meet him, she repeated, so I can judge his story for myself. It's the only way I can think of to figure out any better whether it's true. All the research I've been doing, it just proves they were all friends, and all members of the Order of the Phoenix. It doesn't prove whether it was him or Pettigrew to have really been the secret keeper, so... Draco pulled out the mirror and she swatted him. Draco, now it's not the time to fix your hair. I've been talking to him through this, Draco said, and smirked at her incredulous expression. Magic is a lovely thing, isn't it? Come off it, Striker. You really think I would own a mirror this square and dingy of my own accord? If you want to speak to him, then... Hermione took a deep breath. In person, she said. And yes, obsession with the library aside, this girl was still a Gryffindor. We'll do it in person. You do promise he's not dangerous? Not dangerous at all. Draco lied. I'll still need to contact him to set it up. Hermione winced and slid away. Perhaps you can do that part without me. Draco didn't know if he'd ever seen her as anxious as she was that night, leading him down the dark underground passage that Potter had told her would lead to the Honeyduke's cellar. He commended her on her ability to get information out of Potter, despite their current fallout, and she just heaved a dark sigh and tugged on his sleeve, telling him to walk faster. He wondered at what point she would begin regretting having faith in him, 
and then what point she would regret having befriended a Slytherin at all. The first, if not the second point, seemed to come once they successfully made it to Honeydukes, and then out of it into Hogsmeade, where they were most definitely not supposed to be outside of the appointed weekends, and she found out they weren't meeting Black here anyway. What? Draco said, not having lied to her, at least in this. It's not my fault, you assumed. Where is he then? She whispered, pulling him into the alley behind Honeydukes. Grimald, Draco said, and she looked as if a surprise test had been announced, and not one of her good subjects like arithmancy or charms, a last-minute exam in defence. From one viewpoint, that might seem very much like the endeavour she was undertaking, a last-minute exam in defence against the dark arts. Oh, but I don't know if there's any trains from Hogsmeade to London at this hour, she fretted, and Draco remembered her forgetting she was a witch in first year with the Devil's Snare. Although it wasn't her fault, she couldn't guess the exact means he planned to use. Take my arm, Draco said, and she took it, only to shriek and shove him the moment they were in a very different part of Britain, the streetlights gone brighter and emptier in a world away. Draco Lucius Malfoy, tell me you did not just apparate us to London! Draco considered, eyeing up a friend he was rather relieved, in truth, not to have splinched. I mean, if you're asking me to lie to you... She seemed more disturbed by his casual use of apparition than by the prospect of the famed murderer they were about to meet. At least Black was good to his word, and had managed to lower the wards enough to let Draco open the door without blood magic. Hermione almost seemed to forget who awaited them, as she harangued him all the way down the hall. Not just apparating as a third year, which is illegal and dangerous, but a sidelong apparition. You could have killed me. I don't even want to think I want to know how you learned. Malfoy, you can apparate, Black called, sounding amused, and Hermione stopped dead at the end of the hallway, just out of sight of where it started like Black awaited them. Her gaze swept around them, stopping berating of Draco, long enough to notice the house she visited in August had seen better days since then. Frankenstein? she hissed. Why is there a hole in the roof? And that, is that him? He's here, Sirius Black! Her left arm clutched onto his, as tightly as if he had not just illicitly performed a side-along apparition the last time she did that. Her right hand drew her wand. Don't you dare, Hermione. You're muggle-born. You've got the trace on you, Draco cautioned, not sure if Grimald's wards could protect against it the same way Malfoy Manners did. Her wand hand shook in the air. I'd rather be in trouble with the Ministry than dead, she whispered, not letting him lead her another step forward. Even if you get expelled? Hermione seemed to consider this as a philosophical question, then, incredibly enough, put her wand in her pocket. If he tries to murder us, she said, for all appearances quite seriously, then you'll just have to protect me, Frankenstein. I can't be expelled. 
she promptly let out a gasp at seeing Black. Somewhat unfairly, given that Black seemed to have cleaned up a bit in anticipation of this meeting. He looked to have even tried to comb his hair for once. Miss Granger, Black said, that he was kind enough not to get to his feet when he offered a hand to shake. I've heard a lot about you. She stared at it like an adder. Hermione, Draco said with a little shake at her arm. Shake the man's hand, will you? Black's feelings had been starting to look a little hurt before Hermione's right hand darted out and gave a perfunctory shake. She cried out softly, though, when she saw the bent-shaped red mark across his lined palm, which she knew better than to take as just another one of the tattoos that littered his chest. Is that from your wand, Draco? Like your mother's hand? Why would it have burned him? Why did he have... Draco should never have told her what the Talon wand had done to mother. There was so much information he didn't want either of them to tell the other. The House of Black, Draco informed her tightly, leaves more than a few marks on its denizens. Now, do you want to hear about who got James and Lily Potter killed, or are you going to persist in critiquing the admittedly whimsical personal appearance of my favourite uncle? She allowed him to coax her onto the rotted sofa then, though her side remained pressed against his, keeping his body protectively between her and the fearsome stranger. "'What have you heard about me exactly?' she asked, and Draco put an arm around her to soothe her further. Black considered. "'That you're—how did Malfoy put it?' "'Why do you call him Malfoy?' Hermione asked primly, "'when he calls you Uncle Sirius when he talks about you.' Black blinked. He does? This was getting off to a rousing start. Well, um, Draco, he says you're not only the smartest witch of your generation, but the smartest of the wizards as well, and... Shut up! Draco hissed, pressing his chin into Hermione's shoulder to hide his embarrassment. Now do your thing and convince Hermione so we can get back to Hogwarts before Lavender Brown thinks her dormmate's been carried off by Dementors. Uncle Sirius? Black did an admirable job then, considering the circumstances, in laying out his tale to a sceptical but at least well-flattered Hermione. She nodded when she heard the rationale for changing the secret keeper. It would make more sense from a game theory perspective, she said illegibly, then frowned with a shadow coming over her face like she really was trying to convince herself to believe it. But why wouldn't you have told Professor Lupin about the change? Black raked both hands through his hair, a shudder going through him. To be honest, I feared that he could be the spy in any way the charm. They went off on a tangent then as Hermione demanded a number of unnecessary details about the functioning of the Fidelius charm, which seemed to fascinate her. But it was worth it if it helped convince her. She did finally seem to relax her death grip on his forearm, once her thirst for information was bestirred enough. Draco looked down as he regained possession of it, and saw half-moon nail marks deep in the skin. Well, Hermione said finally, it doesn't surprise me that Professor Lupin wasn't consulted in this change, so he's not to blame. I'm sure he would have advised against it. He's such a clever man. 
black leaned forward, eager at the sound of the name, like a flower towards sunlight, and Hermione gave him a tentative smile. You know, he's the best defence professor we've ever had. It's not that I believe any of it, she told Draco as they left Grimald hours later, coaxed with less fuss to take his arm to side along, with her mind this alight with intellectual curiosity. But he didn't harm us or enchant us, and I can't see why he wouldn't, if it really was killing Harry that he was after. It wouldn't do any harm to try and get Scabbers to him just to see. Draco supposed the minor blood feud between the rodent and her beloved Crookshanks might have helped in bringing Hermione around to an anti-Scabbers vantage, but he wasn't one to look a gift horse in the mouth. It would have been simpler, though, if she was a boy. That opinion got him a glare for voicing it the next day in the library, but it was true. What? Scabbers has been ill, you said, and Ron's afraid of Crookshanks going after him, so he doesn't even take him out of the boy's dorm. And even though the alarms don't go off for you, you're so noticeable. And if Crookshanks's owner was caught in the boy's dorms, Ron would be sure she was after Scabbers, and spirit that blasted creature forever out of their reach, so it had to be Draco to do it. Upon the launch of their friendship, Draco had feared their association might corrupt her. From an outside perspective, it might seem unarguable, once she reluctantly agreed to let him into Gryffindor Tower late at night the following Monday, after he would be out past midnight for astronomy. Draco briefly considered trying to talk Potter into lending him his invisibility cloak for the late night sneaking about, before remembering it was Potter's dorm he was to be robbing. Hermione gave a helpless smile when she saw him in his navy arsenal hoodie, with the hood pulled up over his hair. Isn't that too small for you by now? I've enlarged it magically, Draco said brightly, glad now that unusual sentimentality had made him try to update the muggle clothing rather than throw it away, when it gave protection for the distinctive glare of his white blonde hair. Yes, I am incredibly talented at transfiguration. Ow, ow, okay, okay, I'm going. He slid past her and the snoozing fat lady in the dark common room, looking around furtively but finding no angry Weasleys underfoot to call Snake in the tower. Go on then, Frankenstein, and tell me about it in the morning. I'm going to bed. He thought it deficient in her much-vaunted intellectual curiosity not to want to be there when he delivered the nefarious pettigrew in rat form to the man whose life he'd stolen, and witness black, forced the transformation back. But maybe she thought one face-to-face -face meeting with black had already been pushing her luck, when it came to not getting herself murdered or expelled. It started out well enough, with Draco climbing the stairs in the direction Hermione specified, and getting the right dawn. The bad news was... Draco knew it was the right dorm because there was Harry Potter in it, sitting up, awake in the dark. Draco didn't react quickly enough to keep Potter from noticing him. He was forced to ditch the protection of the hood and push it down so Potter would recognise him and not think him some faceless intruder or worse, the prisoner of Azkaban. When Draco put a finger to his lips, Potter stayed silent. What are you doing here? Potter hissed, 
and looked more astounded when he peered at Draco's watch and saw it was past one. Draco came over and sat beside him on the edge of his bed, trying to draw him into a false sense of security, even as his eyes searched restlessly for a spark of ginger hair in the darkness to identify which bed was Ron's. Draco, you shouldn't be here, let alone this late. Why are you... I'm here to see you, of course, Draco whispered, giving Potter his best smirk and lounging back over Potter's bed as if he had every right to be there. Its curtains were the only obvious hiding place available from the eyes of other Gryffindors should they awake. When Potter gave him an appalled look, he kicked off his shoes obligingly before putting his feet up, dropping his head back to Potter's pillow. Except Potter didn't look any happier, so his quibble might not have been with the hygienic aspect of a Malfoy in his bed. What, Potter? Like you haven't been in my dorm, in my bed, as a matter of fact. Don't you think? Turnabout's fair play. Potter had to lie down beside him to catch all of his whispering, though he could hardly have looked more petrified if it had been a Dementor crawling over his sheets. I was having a nightmare, Draco, about my parents, and I woke up and saw you. At least he hadn't rushed to turn Draco in yet. Was there any hope he could still get out of this with a felonious rat in tow? It's about that, actually. Draco fibbed on the fly and cricked a finger for Potter to incline his face closer to hear the soft drawl Draco had for his ear. The lessons with Lupin. It wasn't like this Thursdays had gone any better for Draco than the first. I was in astronomy and I couldn't stop thinking about it. They couldn't have waited until tomorrow, Potter whispered back, expression going that much softer, and Draco had his first rush of uncertain hope. Draco, I don't know if I could help. I needed to talk to you, Draco lied, because I can't get it out of my head, the Dementors, and how I can't do anything against them. And you can, Potter, and I won't be able to sleep tonight, unless you explain it to me, how it is you can make that much of a Patronus, and I can't make anything at all. That was the way, to appeal to Potter's saviour complex, though he still saw doubt in those half-iridescent eyes. What, Potter? Draco drawled running his eyes up and down Potter in his Gryffindor red pyjamas, and letting his eyes linger on the section of Potter's throat and collarbones exposed by the top buttons undone. Did you think I'd crept into your bed to ravage you after all, Casanova? Get over yourself. R ravage me? Potter whispered. Eyes gone huge, and he licked his lips so nervously Draco had to regret the joke. What, what does that mean? Draco rolled his eyes, pushing a strand of hair out of his own eyes, and his elbow brushed Potter's side. Ah! What? Draco! What are you? Potter cried out, loud enough to wake every Gryffindor in the room. Harry! Harry, is that you? Are you all right? Oh, Ron said pulling aside the curtains to find Draco in Potter's bed. And wow, 
there had never been a worse time to forget a muffliato, let alone a spelunca securi. Draco, what time is it? Why are you in Harry's bed? He wanted to talk about dementors? Potter said weakly while others began to shriek. Sirius Black! Longbottom screeched at the top of his lungs, running over to the door of the dorm and banging on it to get out before he seemed to realise it wasn't locked. Sirius Black is after Harry! Help! Help! Murder! Murder! It's Sirius Black! Come to murder Harry Potter! Draco groaned and let his head fall back on Potter's pillow at the sound of Gryffindor Tower coming awake around them. Then he was hauled out by his bare feet, Finnegan and Thomas looming over him in a lamentably Gryffindorish sort of bristling fashion. Both their wands pointed down at the intruder. Hands above your head! Thomas barked, sounding like those muggle cop shows Mr Granger liked to watch. Draco let his hands fall behind his head on the carpet with a groan. We've got you now, Black! he cried triumphantly while Potters tried to stop them. You can murder me if you like, Draco sighed, but you'll have to find someone else to play keeper in our scrimmage on Saturday, and Ron hates football. Lumos, said Finnegan, and their wild young faces went abruptly from determination to shock, and then something rather scandalised and prurient. Bloody hell, is that Draco Malfoy? Ah, oh, shit, sorry said Thomas as the door busted open and Peter Weasley stormed in. "'Just want you to know, I support your relationship,' he said earnestly, before Peter was yelling at Longbottom to wake the professors and tell them that the head boy had just caught Sirius Black. The only bright spot of the whole miserable affair, apart from Hermione never being caught for her part, was that at least Peter Weasley got shown up in it. The teachers were all miffed to be roused from their beds, as were the quivering Gryffindors, at the news the prisoner of Azkaban had been caught, only to find nothing but a sheepish Draco Malfoy on the dorm floor. Soon he found himself in the headmaster's office for the second time in the red line, with Severus making wild excuses and incoherent defences up on the fly for Draco, against all the other furious teachers. At least they seemed, with Potter's embarrassed testimony, to buy that Draco had snuck in with intentions no worse than asking for help with Lupin's lessons. Severus triumphantly seized on that as an excuse to get to blame it all on Lupin. Somehow, that let Severus get Draco's lessons with Lupin cancelled, not that Draco had seemed likely to make progress in them anyway. Or, Severus seemed to blame it on Lupin. But when given permission to take Draco and see to his discipline himself, the moment he dragged Draco into his chambers was the moment he began to yell. Draco almost found himself ready to admit his actions were an ill-advised attempt to assist in clearing the name of Severus's childhood nemesis, sooner than allow Severus to continue. In his apparent conviction, this had been a real attempt at a liaison with Potter. But he couldn't get a word in edgewise, with a man who rarely, if ever, resorted to yelling to intimidate, using his vocal cords to the point they were hoarse for Draco's next two potions lessons. Draco was packed off to the Slytherin dungeons, with fifty points taken off Slytherin, a blanket banned from Gryffindor Tower, and the threat that if Severus ever heard of him being found in Potter's bed again, he would not only alert Lucius Malfoy, 
but would personally make sure, with the assistance of some very dark potions, that Draco did not have the capability to do anything compromising in that bed. So the Slytherins all wanted him gone, with that points total taken off them. Draco's reminders that he had won them far more points in the past, and in fact single-handedly won the House Cup in first year, was met only by indignant sniffs, and a pinnow tossed in his direction by Blaise Sabini, whose hippogriff-mauled arm certainly seemed to have recovered. The next morning, after a lot of whispering, Blaze asked quite seriously whether Draco really fancied Harry Potter, and if so, would it be possible for him to do so in a way that didn't leave him mistaken for a fugitive desperado? No, it's not possible, Draco deadpanned, making Theo choke on his breakfast. My love is a desperate one. Are you really trying to snog Potter? Theo asked dourly. I don't know, Draco drawled. Do you think if he'd been at the heart of Winter Gala, he would have danced with me? Theo turned sullenly back to his porridge. It wasn't just Slytherin, but the whole school was pissed at him. Once everyone heard the sordid news, that the purported black sighting was just a Malfoy trying to sneak into Harry Potter's bed. The Gryffindors hated him for waking them up in a panic, let alone for how he had gotten Thomas in trouble. That was for having supposedly let Draco hear the password to the common room. At least a horrified Ron had disabused Thomas of the belief that this was an illicit young romance unmasked. But Draco still found himself practising football on Sundays alone. And Hermione's defence of Draco, to anyone who would listen, just made the rest of her house seem to regard her as all but a Slytherin. Only two people seemed to have taken this false romance as a net positive, Dobby and Luna. When he snuck down to try and get a late-night snack, he discovered the two of them in the kitchens whispering happily about star-crossed lovers, nor were either of them repentant of their opinion. Oh, it's one thing to be ostracised when they thought you were the heir of Slytherin, Luna said happily. That was terribly unfair, but for love, Draco... Oh, it's so romantic. Draco Malfoy and Harry Potter will be very happy together, agreed a beaming Dobby. In their exile as social pariahs that followed, Hermione made the point that it would have been handy to know the spell Black spoke of planning to use to unmask Pettigrew. That was an anti-animagus charm, which would make it necessary not to kidnap the rat, but only to get near him. Draco would have spoken to Sirius about it as soon as possible, but Severus had confiscated Draco's two-way mirror upon finding it on his disgraced person in Gryffindor Tower, clearly believing it some manner of secret communication device with Potter. So, Hermione declared this their newest research project in the library, while nearly dying of stress already from the excessive number of classes she was taking. Draco sent off a letter to Black, but received no response, and so he was left dividing his time between searching the library and searching Severus's parts of the dungeons as covertly as he could, not making much progress given his abject terror of an already furious Severus catching him and revoking Draco's godson access again. Draco had once thought he should never be trusted with making even the smallest decisions. He wasn't so unsure of himself any more, but he was getting to the point where he had to admit 
maybe he shouldn't be trusted making plans. Hermione made him promise to wait until they could learn the anti-animagus charm before he made another try at Scabbers, and he thought her right, until the divination class where Trelawney had read all their palms. Even if Draco thought she was a crock, he was wasting his time. He was inclined towards that viewpoint more than ever when she declared he had the shortest heart line he had ever seen. But then, she seemed to freeze up, going rigid as a board in her seat, and said in a harsh voice quite unlike herself, The heart will stop beating! Blaze nearby snickered, and gestured the other Slytherins over to listen. Aw, oh, sounds like Professor Trelawney's seen the end of Draco and Potter's love, Vince. Isn't it sad? Do you have something against your own tongue, Blaze? Theo hissed. But Draco could only look at Trelawney, whose eyes had rolled back in her head, leaving them mere whites. The heart will stop beating. The Grim. The Grim. The heart of the Grim is a wolf. When the dragon breathes his fire. The grim will rise on the flames and the rat is swallowed inside them. The heart will stop beating. The heart is a wolf. The dragon breathes. The rat, the dragon, the dragon. Professor Trelawney, Tracy Davis was saying, shaking the rambling white-eyed woman worriedly. Professor Trelawney, you aren't making any sense. Are you all right? Trelawney's eyes slid back into focus as she slumped forward and then righted herself again. Sorry, what was I saying? Yes, the shortest heartline I've ever seen. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the House of Black, part three of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget.